Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. Absolutely honored to have Farmer Lee Jones on the show today. Lee, thank you so much for taking some time. Hey, thanks for your interest. Um, such a fan. I'm going to geek out throughout this, and I'm excited about the opportunity to do so. So we were just joking about the fact that 37 years, the year that I was born, the year that your son was born, was when the chef's garden started. So for the four people in America, in our industry, who do not know about the chef's garden and about Farmer Lee Jones, give us just a little bit of that history and, you know, why did you start the chef's garden so many years ago? Well, the short, short answer, Jensen, is desperation. Um, Good answer. I was 19. I stood shoulder to shoulder with my mom and dad, my brother and sister, all of our neighbors, all of our competitors, and everybody that was there to celebrate our failure. And I watched 25 years of my parents' work on the farm be auctioned off one piece of equipment at a time, um, right down to my mother's car and our house. Interest rates in early 80s hit 22%. Uh, my parents were growing commercially vegetables for chain grocery stores and um, had worked really hard. And uh, the hailstorm wiped out all the crops. The interest rates were at 22%. And... Um, it broke our backs and I'm the oldest in the family of three and uh, they literally auctioned every single thing that we owned off. It's not a rags to riches story, not what I'm trying to paint, um, but we started back over. I could tell you stories that you honestly may not even believe. I mean, we were in survival mode. We were afraid okay. of nothing. We had nothing to lose. Our backs were against the wall and we just came out swinging and it was in our DNA to farm and we, you know, with the help of chefs, it, it actually started out when we started over and started the chef's garden. There was a woman who had trained in France and she was, we started back over at farmer's markets, which were at a historic low in the early eighties. It's great to see them at a historic high today, but in the early eighties, they were at a historic low. And there was this woman who had trained in France. Her name was Iris Balin. And she came to us and I think she had been to 15 or 20 other farmers and nobody was listening to her. Everything in the United States at that time, and even today, is you know for tons per acre, grow for volume. Yeah. And in America, you know the industrialization of agriculture has allowed for producing food very, very cheap, and we do it very efficiently. We produce food in America cheaper than any other country in the world as it relates to our income. Yet we have the highest health care. But she said, "Look, could you grow for the flavor? Grow for the um, the." the flavor of the product, grow it without chemical, um, grow it for the integrity, the flavor per mouthful rather than tons per acre. Yeah. And there was a guy, I don't know whether you remember it from your history books, knowing how young you are and my son, um, there was a guy in the early 70s, his name was Earl Butts. He was the Secretary of Agriculture in the United States. And his message, his claim to fame was to farmer, his message to farmers was get big or get out. And now that I do remember. Yeah, that was a real butt. Yeah, yeah. And he was a butt. So uh, you can quote me on that. 
So, you know, Iris was saying, look, grow for the flavor, grow for the integrity. I think there are enough chefs in this country that would support it. And we were so desperate for a way to be able to survive in agriculture. She was giving us this little crack of hope that yeah. maybe there was a chance for small family farms in America. And we grabbed around both of her ankles and we wouldn't let her go. And we said, teach us. And she, she did. And she turned us on to a world that we knew nothing about. Everything that we were doing was the way the university taught. Grow for chemical, grow for synthetic fertilizer, grow yeah. for tons per acre or grow with synthetic fertilizer and with chemical to be able to produce higher yields at lower cost. And here's this lady saying, grow without the chemical, grow it for the flavor, chefs will support you. Early on, we then hooked up with Jean-Louis Paladin at the Watergate in uh, DC. And unlike other chefs, he was like one of these guys that knew that we were really serious about trying to grow it the right way. Yeah. And so instead of him saying, no, this guy's a small guy, you get your own farmer. He knew he had to give us enough business to keep us in business. And we were very fortunate that he had that foresight because then he called Danielle Ballou and Alain Ducasse and Michel Richard and all the French and European chefs that he knew. And, um, of course, a lot of Ritz-Carlton's were heavily based in European chefs, St. Regis's Four Seasons, and it kind of turned our world on to this other. other. And then, of course, after the European chefs, then folks like Charlie Trotter, Debbie Gold, uh, Thomas Keller all the American chefs and, you know, they've really, we're here because chefs have given us the privilege of being able to try and do it the right way. Do we have it all figured out? No, we sure don't, but they've given us a path and we were kind of this clay dough, if you will. And the chefs have sort of formed us into the chef's garden over the last 37 years. And we're so grateful for all the support that so many great chefs have given us. And they really kind of took us under their wing and, you know, and kind of, pushed us and encouraged us. Yeah. And as, as the farmer, the expectation would be, here's the best product and here's the best practices. Yeah. You kind of had to relearn because you were in the machine and the chefs challenged you and then gave you the outlet for that. So I love that story. And I also know how much it means to you because chefs can be the greatest and a huge pain in the ass as well. And so the fact that you've been able to navigate that and thoughtfully curate your products, your company, your message over the years, has been unbelievable. And you mentioned Debbie Gold. So I want to tell people a story of serendipity, how things come around when good people connect good people. I heard about and encountered the Chef's Garden for the first time in 2006 when I was just a punk line cook, 23-year-old kid in Kansas City at 40 Sardines working for Debbie Gold. And I had never seen anything like that. Microgreens, petite greens, like beautiful stuff, which is completely new to me. And I came to Denver and I sought out the products and I used them for years and years and years. And then Derek Hole from the Trotter Project, you mentored Charlie Trotter, is on the show, mentions you by name. Debbie Gold's been on the show multiple times, still a friend and mentor. She says, you got to talk to Lee. She connects us. And from 2006 to 2020, Debbie Gold, once again, is such a connector of people, of products, of experiences that you and I are talking because of Debbie Gold, which is where I first encountered the product. So I love, I love the story. And it's chefs, chefs saying, you got to go get this product. You've got to talk to this person. So I can really appreciate that. In this moment, Lee, what does the chef community need to know about their opportunity, their responsibility when it comes to bringing sustainable farming, traditional farming, agriculture, local farms and farmers kind of 
even further into the conversation when it comes to the way that we actually eat in this country. Well, Jensen, you're kind of asking me to reverse roles. We have been subservient to chefs because yeah. chefs have allowed us the privilege of an existence. So for me to, to tell chefs what they should do or other farmers what they should do, we have trouble figuring out what we're supposed to do on a daily basis. Um, you know, I think that, you know, as it relates to the COVID situation, um, it's been devastating for all of us. And we've, we've all lost somebody that we love, either within the industry or even in family. And it's changed our world. None of us like it. It's uncomfortable. Uh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, a lot of people are going to lose restaurants. A lot of people are going to lose farms. We're swinging like hell. You know, six months ago, things were chugging along pretty good for us. And things were chugging along pretty good for the restaurants. Yeah. Um, two months ago, that changed. A hundred percent of our life's commitment have been to chefs. And basically overnight, the light switch flipped and our revenue stopped dead in its tracks. And we have 150 families that work here full time on the farm. Wow. Uh, everything that we do is by hand uh, because it's, it's the right way to do it. Um, I'm not saying that anything that's done with a machine is the wrong way, but a lot of the things that we're doing, the practices are by hand because it's the most gentle. It's the, it's the most environmentally friendly and in harmony with nature. So, We've taken painful steps and expensive steps to try and yeah. do things the right way. Um, our single greatest asset on our farm, and I think that the chefs would say this too, is not the restaurant equipment or the facilities or the restaurant or for us on the farm. It's not tractors. It's not greenhouses. It's not land. It's people. And um, we had over a thousand hour or a thousand years of chef's garden experience on the farm. Um, when you, and I'm not talking about experience on another farm. I'm talking about people that have been coming back for 27, 28, 30 years. Uh, my dad's still in, actively involved, my brother. It's a family business, but it's an extended family with 150 team members, a thousand years of chef's garden experience. So when this COVID thing hit, our first commitment was to our team members. What can we do to be able to somehow preserve the team and keep those incomes coming? Look, none of us in the agricultural business are doing it because it's the highest paid, paying checks. It's because it's it's in the heart. And yeah. our team members love the farming and it gets in your blood and it's like a chef. And um, so all the decisions have been made to try and find a way to be able to preserve the team and keep those checks coming. We, we kept more people on payroll than we probably should have. But, you know you have the people thing, but then you have an intimate relationship with your farm. And I can kind of put her in the female gender. Um, you know, you don't walk away from her and neglect her for two months or three months or whatever this is going to take for us to get out of COVID and reject her and don't give her the nurturing and the love and the coddling that she expects or demands or needs. And then decide to come back three months later and expect her to receive you with open arms. So you don't furlough a farm. And so we felt that it was imperative to keep the team together for the team's sake, but it also for the farm's sake to be able to continue to take care of her. And when we do get out the other side of this, that she'll be there and in good shape. And, you know, we're losing the sales now, but if we don't continue to plant now for when we come out, we're not going to have anything later. So I think that we're going to certainly see restaurants come out of this looking different. 
and firms are, are going to look different. The reality is, is those that those of us that can figure out a way to adapt and change are going to survive. And those that, that can't figure it out, can't figure out a way to adapt and change are going to die. And that's really where we're at. Yeah. You feel like there's an opportunity in that moment as in the restaurant business, it's so easy to get every product now. You can get anything from around the world and and there's good and bad that comes out of that. People having access. I, I see both sides of it. I've been guilty of both sides of that equation of being like, cool, I can just order everything in one shot. That's super simple. But the times that I've done well, I've had 14, 15, 16 different purveyors because they were experts in their craft, whatever that might be. Now that we see the transport, logistic, production, the whole machine is really, really challenged at this moment. You see big meat plants getting shut down, things like that, that all of a sudden the farmer down the street, Eric Skokin in Boulder at Black Cat is all of a sudden mission critical for me to be able to get access to food. Do you see an opportunity there that you hope that we have a moment to slow down, which chefs very rarely do, slow down and think about where the food comes from and, and why we are truly cooking and who it is that we want to be of service to. Do you see an opportunity there? Well, I do. I think that, you know, this has been coming for a while. I don't think that this is uh, all a new revelation because of COVID, but I think that it has certainly heightened it and brought it to a, a higher level and Smithfield and some of these places that have had to close down um, because of the COVID situation of, made us all acutely more interested and aware of where food is coming from. And I, th I think that that's really important. Um, even if you go back to seasonally sensitive food, it's one of my great wishes is that people would celebrate mother nature in her season. I think that mother nature provides with us a certain rhythm of life and of menu development and recipes. When asparagus is in season, I believe that we should eat it three times a day. When it's out of season, we should lust for it for 10 more months. Uh, and I even think that if you really get in tune with your body, your body will tell you when you need certain things. I don't know if you've ever had this, Jensen, where your body says, I need kale. I need beets. Yeah. Or your body just, and Mother Nature provides that. And, you know, I think that people are more interested, not only chefs, but consumers are more interested, more savvy, more tuned in and aware of where ingredients are coming from than ever before. And I think that a connectivity, we lost our way in the eighties. You know, mm -hmm. my grandmother's generation was great cooks. She was born in like 1910. My mother is now 80 years old. My mother's generation, that was the generation that became the second person in the family had a career. And they said that there was more to life than, than they saw their mothers spend a half a day every day cooking in the kitchen. My mother's generation said there's more to life. and it, it became an opportunity for large corporations to bring in. You remember, I don't know whether you remember these, but the frozen TV dinners. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The little like aluminum thing oh, with the yeah. Salisbury steak and the instant mashed potatoes and the horrible, you know, frozen uh, green beans and corn and carrots. And we allowed convenience to take over and we lost our way and we lost our connection with where our food was coming from. Yes. I think that out of the ashes of all this definite devastation, there are going to be some good things that rise out of it. You, we've got to believe, and chefs are, and farmers are some of the two categories of people that are the most optimistic in the world. And 
We've got to believe that there's going to be good that comes out of this. I think we're going to see more gardeners, a whole new generation of gardeners. Kids want to emulate what mom and dad do. And, mm. you know, mom and dads are interested right now because they're at home. They can't be at work. So they're planting gardens. Well, the kids want us to do what mom and dad are doing. So they're going to be out there planting a the garden with mom and dad. And lo and behold, they're going to get to pull a carrot out of the ground and find out that a carrot comes from the soil. And they're going to get to go in and cook with mom and dad and find out these are pretty damn good. And yeah. the next thing you know, we're going to have a whole generation of gardeners. And that's exciting. There are going to be good. We're going to have to look for those nuggets for sure out of this devastation, but there are going to be nuggets of good things that happen out of this. Yeah, I love that. The connection that you talked about when your body needs a certain food, you, you feel compelled. When I walk through a grocery store right now and I see tomato, it's like the last thing that I want to eat because it's not time for tomatoes. But when I see spinach, when I see like the spring carrots and things coming up, I absolutely, I just grab, like literally there is a magnetic force. So I can absolutely appreciate that for sure, which I think is very important. On that note, I wanted to show everyone that you guys, and shout out to Cami in your office, who's done an amazing yeah. job getting this all together. It doesn't even fit on the screen, but this box showed up yesterday and I was so excited. It was, wait, it was Christmas morning. Like, you know that you're you're so in love with food when a box of produce shows up and it's like Christmas morning and I'm literally like ripping it apart like a little kid. And so I want to show people just some of what showed up. These, the microgreens that you guys did, the petite flowers that you guys do are some of the products that like I remember in those early days, it was I'd never seen anything like that before. It was like a complete revelation for me. And the opportunity to have these tiny greens that I'd look at them and go, I have no idea what this is. And then you taste them. You're like, that is amazing. Like lemon verbena, like all of a sudden flavor, these flavors like that. I'd never seen before. That wasn't lemon verbena, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that popped in my head, but uh, these flowers, you know, all of a sudden, like these beautiful edible flowers became a part of our pantheon, our ability to create food and beautiful food from like simple ingredients, I think was, was a really amazing thing. And I remember then kind of these baby greens, but they were slightly larger were another thing that like, I really, really love these. And then these guys, some of these squash and zucchini as well. Like people, this is beautiful. I don't, I don't know if I'm alone here. I know Lee's with me, but these are just like absolutely beautiful and they are so delicious and not enough people get to connect with food in that way. And it's one of the things that I really hope coming out of this is that people look at these products. There's potatoes and sweet potatoes in there in a very different way because the impact that they can have on you is massive. And I already know my two sons, six and three downstairs are so excited. Like they wanted this, like it was their Christmas present. And I was like, Dad's got to do some work real quick, but then we're going to eat these. And right away, they're like, what are we going to cook with those? Can I just, my son's like, can I just eat those raws? Like you can absolutely right. just eat those raw. So I, I want to tell people how important this is and really get that message across that food matters. It matters. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you guys sent me this. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. And so this specifically, sending direct to consumer is that now a channel that you're looking at because well, the it is. Is so challenging? 
Absolutely. I mean, we were desperate because all the restaurants closed. And so yeah. within 24 hours, we, we pivoted and we're making the product available to individuals. You can actually, I think for 59 bucks, you can get to, with freight included uh, an introductory box delivered anywhere in the United States. There's an $89 immune boosting box. Um, but this channel isn't going to go away when the restaurants reopen. We're, no. we're developing a second market. For years, we've had people go to Danielle or go to Debbie Golds or go to Charlie Trotters or go to Thomas Keller's. And then they're like, oh, my God, this tastes so great. Can I get this at home? Well, for all those years, we were chef only. Yeah. So this forced our hand. And we've been thinking that this was an, a channel that we should really be developing. And unfortunately, I got caught without having that developed by this time, because I never thought about every restaurant in the country closing at one time. But the thing about this food is, is that eating it in season and seasonal sensitivity, I think is really important. And people are interested in knowing those seasons. We farm 350 acres, Jensen, and that may sound like a lot to somebody that doesn't know, but we're surrounded by farms that are farming 3,000, 4,000, 10,000 acres of land. And it's all commodity products, soybean, wheat, and corn, all genetically modified. Nothing we grow is genetically modified. What re What's really cool about this is that 350 acres, 250 of it is sitting fallow. And we do lab analysis on the soil, just like if you were to go and have blood work drawn. You find that you're high in iron, low in iron, high in calcium, low in calcium. We find out what the soil is deficient in. And it's our personal belief, I'm not trying to cast my aspersions on anybody else, but it's our personal belief that God designed a system far superior to anything that we can fake out chemically or synthetically. For us, it's about working in harmony with nature rather than trying to outsmart it. So we do lab analysis on the soil. And this is where it gets really cool and interesting. Different types of plants will accept different types of energy from the sun. So instead of putting the synthetic and the chemical inputs into the soil to make the plants grow, we find out what is deficient, and then we plant buckwheat and clover and vetch and sedan grass and barley and even cow peas, all these different types of plants. Each type of plant will accept a different type of energy from the sun. So out of 350 acres, 250 acres of it every year is harvesting the sun's energy, pulling it down through the plant, into the stem, into the soil. And then the next year when we plant the turnip or the beet or the carrot or the zucchini or the spinach or the tomato, it picks that back up. And then when we eat it, it builds our immune system. In America, the Western yeah. culture is when you get sick, we give you a penicillin to get rid of it. The Eastern culture is get the body in balance to defend against the disease in the first place. And that's yeah. really the premise around trying to healthy soil, healthy vegetables, healthy people. And that's the premise of what we're trying to do. And now it's available to individuals that want to have immune boosting food and feed their children and have something healthy and they know where it came from. There's a connectivity that we have lost in America. And this is, this helps. And there's a lot of other good small farms out there too. I encourage people to support those other small farms, you know, cultivate community. It's important. And I'm not, I don't get so wrapped up on whether it's 20 miles or 50 miles or hundred miles. The local thing is somewhat bastardized in its use. It could be local sure. and it could be still commercial grown. It's about cultivating that community of people of like-minded philosophies. And that's really important to us, maybe more so than ever before. Yeah. And just hearing that, you thinking about the soil biology, and I'm sure it goes way deeper than just the nutrients. You're talking about the, the fungi that's in there and the and Absolutely. the composition of it. We could talk soil biology for a while. It's uh it's fascinating. It's just that 
Have one conversation for 47 seconds with a farmer and you'll get it. I mentioned Eric Skoken earlier. He's soft-spoken. He's also a chef. He has two restaurants. Yet when that guy gets talking about spinach, it's the sexiest thing that I have ever heard in my life because there's so much care and passion that goes into it. When I have some of his mule foot hogs, I taste the passion and the work that right. goes into it because I have one point of connection. So I think that's a very important thing. When you're thinking about the consumer, and let's let's wrap up with this, and you mentioned them thinking about their food systems, and now there is a, another layer for you. You're going direct to consumer. Also, the chef community will be huge and massive forever for the chef's garden. Now the chefs are also becoming a communication tool for you to the end consumer. When you're talking to chefs about that conversation, where does that lead you? Where does that go? What's the conversation that chefs are having with their end consumers that's forming your opinions, your processes to serve also that end consumer now? Well, you know, it's been kind of exciting. Um, chefs have been able to, one, spend some time with their families. I mean, we, you know, this industry can be 80 to 100 hours a week and it can eat you alive. And the next thing you know, your six and three-year-olds are graduating from high school and you're standing there with tears in your eyes because of the guilt, because you didn't get to spend enough time with them and you didn't get to take them fishing and you didn't get to do those things. And mom raised them all on her own. Or it can be the other way. Dad raised them and mom was in the kitchen. Um, you know, I think that people, I think that this, again, this is a horrible, devastating situation to COVID, but it was an opportunity to allow us to pause. The environment is breathing. She needed, she needed a break. The chefs for sure needed a break. I think that when we go back, we're going to kind of reprioritize. I think that the chefs have had an opportunity to get in the kitchens of their own homes and burn their hands and kick with their cook with their kids. But I think that, you know, there we're seeing chefs buying the product in support of the farm to be able to cook at home with their families. But I think that um, then they're putting it out on social media and sharing what they've done. And of course, a lot of the chefs, their followers are their customers. So in a lot of ways, there's a connection and they've been willing to share our name. And I just think that it's so, so good to see this connectivity of farmers and end users and chefs kind of collaborating to get through this. We're in this together. I know that's a cliche that's kind of been ridden hard and put away wet a long time, but I mean, it. I think that it really, it really is true. I mean, we're working together to get through this and you know, it's just great to be able to, farmers don't have a voice and, you know, your podcast is giving us that privilege of having a voice and Jensen, it's just great to catch up with you and thanks for, for allowing us a, a chance to be able to talk and share our passion. This is our family's life work and you're giving us a chance to share that with your listeners. We're grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak with you. It, it means a lot to me and they do have a voice. They have you and they have several other farmers that have like put themselves out there, which I think is important. And I really appreciate what you said about the chef community. The chef community are so good at connecting people Absolutely. through stories and through the products, but it's not the products. Your microgreens are amazing. They taste better because I know you. They absolutely do because that matters. It really does. And so I think chefs now are understanding their voice, their responsibility. And there was a moment, I know you know, where chefs didn't want to unveil all their secrets. They felt like that was 
the special sauce that they had. Now it's like, look at everything that I have because I am just a conduit for Lee and 150 families and what they do on the farm out there in Ohio and that matters. So I'm grateful for the conversation and I appreciate the work that you're doing and I'm happy to lend even a moment of additional support to that. So thank you so much, Lee. Hey, absolutely. Farmer Lee Jones on Instagram, chefs-garden.com. And uh, we'd love to send a box to your family. I Stay can't busy. wait. We'll, I'll be posting pictures for quite a few days of all of these goodies. Uh, hey, when you dig into that box, you're going to see it's gone way beyond microgreens and edible flowers. There's, I know some, there's some spinach in that box for you that's pretty damn sexy. Um, and it, it's actually, we call it ice spinach. It's been frozen and thawed over 60 times. It's just like the same concept as ice wine. The flavor yeah. and the body and the texture on that is going to be unbelievable. Hey, good wait, to see you, man. I got to get out of here, Lee. We got we to cut ourselves off because I got to go eat some of the spinach. All right, Lee. See you on the other side, brother. Appreciate Cheers. you. Cheers. Yep. Likewise. Love you. Yes. That was a moment for me, absolutely. As a young upcoming chef with Debbie Gold, I know, Debbie, you're watching. So grateful for just even hearing about the chef's garden and being able to interact. And I remember at uh, 40 Sardines, there was always the tomato guy that would show up in his panel van with like the best tomatoes in August. And I was like, I think that guy sells weed or something too, you know, to supplement for the rest of the year because you can't just make a living on tomatoes, can you? So, the opportunity to talk to Farmer Lee Jones and what an icon. I mean, uh, just the second I saw him before we went live with the blue overalls and the white shirt and the red bow tie and the, the tan hat is just classic. Uh, I'm grateful so many years later to be able to connect with him personally and to be able to have this food and we're going to eat it as a family as, as we should connect to your farmer. Do it. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Appreciate you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.